My name's Sebastian Major, and I am the host of the Our Fake History podcast. I'm Rebecca Larson with the Tudors Dynasty podcast. This is Greta Harden. My name is Benjamin Jacobs. I'm Anton. And I'm Rick. I'm David Montgomery. I'm Brief. My name is Roberto Toro. I'm Jamie. And I'm Rob. We will be speaking at Intelligent Speech. I am looking forward to speaking at Intelligent Speech 2023. I will be speaking at Intelligent Speech online this year. Mark your calendars for this November 4th. Intelligent Speech, the online conference for history fans by history podcasters. It's a three ring circus of fascinating content with around 24 hours of live presentations. This year is all about contingencies. Times when history meets the unexpected. The topic of my keynote address is no contingencies. The tutors and their contingency plans. So go to intelligencespeechonline.com to get your tickets. We'll see everybody on November 4th. Welcome to Pontifax. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 122. It's me, Anastasius Three. Oh, another one. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had Anastasius. I have been waiting a long time to say, it's me, Anastasius Three. <laughs> it was just too perfect. So last week, we began the pornocracy and the saculum obscurum period. Marked with all the dominance of Theophylact and his family and scandals everywhere. Do we think this week is going to be the same? Probably. (laughs) Yeah, probably. So let's get into it. All right, hang on. I I started chewing, but I have have something to say. I really should not be eating <laughs> M&M's right now. Greg, I need that as a soundbite. The <laughs> What are we going to use that for? Nothing. I don't know. Just post it just like that. <laughs> no context. <laughs> All right. So I'm really upset that that pornocracy song from the Cadaver Synod wasn't more catchy. Because, like, I remember I know. none of the lyrics. <laughs> just welcome to the pornocracy is pretty much it. All the rest is just yelling over poorly placed speakers. Mm-hmm. So, it's unfortunate. The only thing that stands out from that is uh, you make me feel shapeable, which <laughs> lives in my brain rent free, unfortunately. <laughs> but that wasn't the same song. No, it wasn't. But... Every time somebody brings up the musical to me, I just want to yell, you make me feel shavable, because I have to get it out somehow. It's like a Pavlovian response. Yes, exactly that. But we can set that aside and talk about Anastasius. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. So Anastasius was born in Rome, and his father was a nobleman called Lucian. Now, some old sources used to claim that he was, in fact, the son of Pope Sergius and Marozia, but clearly this is some confusion over the claims that Sergius had fathered a later pope, John XI, who is the son that Marozia actually had. This also doesn't work because, according to Deborah Booten McCoy, there is only a very small age difference between Sergius and Anastasius of about five years which would also make his alleged mother, Marozia, over 20 years younger than him. So, oh, that's not going to work. No, yeah. you cannot have babies that time travel shenanigans. 
Also, Sergius was only pope for about seven years, and since the alleged affair with Morozia was during his pontificate, any child Morozia and he had or did not have would have been far too young to even be in the church yet. So this is definitely not the case. Anastasius is not the son of Sergius. His father is Lucian. We're not to infant popes yet. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. <laughs> We're going to talk about that later. We'll get there eventually. So Anastasius didn't have the same sort of rapid rise in the church that Sergius did, particularly if they were close in age or if they joined the church around a similar time, because he holds no offices at all until he was appointed to be a cardinal deacon by Pope Sergius in 908. But he also seemed to not have made as many enemies as Sergius had and wasn't as actively political as Sergius was, since no one was trying to send him away to be a bishop somewhere else. Unfortunately, though, we know very little about Anastasius's political leanings or reputation at all. All we know is that he was a cardinal deacon for three years until Pope Sergius died, and then he was elected to be the next pope at the age of 46. Okay, definitely not a child. Not a child, but very young for a pope so far. Didn't we have pope in like his 30s? Well, we had the 90-year-old pope that looked like the 30-year-old Oh, uh, yeah, but one of the early popes, the hot one. Yes, Caius. Yes. <laughs> this is the era of young popes, as we will see. However, despite knowing almost nothing about where Anastasia stood on any of the issues that had made and unmade popes for the last several decades, we do know that Anastasius was elected to be pope because our Magister Militum and Senatrix, Theophylact and Theodora, wanted him to be. And of course, because this is the whole misogynistic pornocracy lens that is cast over this period, it's suggested that this is Theodora's choice. Let her pick a pope. That's fine. Oh, she gonna pick them popes. Unfortunately, it doesn't shed any light on why he was the one that she chose, just that she chose him. And from the way his papacy is going to go, we might assume that he seemed to be a willing puppet to carry out their political machinations. Or maybe he was just advantageously neutral. But that is literally the best that we can guess. So Anastasius was consecrated as Pope on some date in April of 911. You can see how much our sources are suffering in this period if we can't even mark a day. Oh, God. Like, wow. No dates. Yeah. No dates. Some date in April of 9-11. And unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do much better in terms of sources for his whole papacy, as only a few things really get recorded. But one of the things that does get recorded, at least, was fairly major for the scope of Italy. So, hey, guess who we haven't talked about for a while? Oh, I don't know. The Franks. Uh, not quite the Franks, but a threat. A threat of sorts. A big threat of sorts. The, oh god, they're not the Mongols, but they're kind of like the Mongols. They're the Saracens, not the Magyars. I know who you're thinking of, but <laughs> let's talk about the Saracens. All right. They are still kicking, and you bet they still have designs on conquering all of Italy. And at this time, from their fortified holdings in the southernmost of Italy, in Calabria, 
Aglabid Saracen forces have moved up throughout Italy and taken over and fortified a city on the Garigliano River, which gives them an incredible stronghold and defensible fortress to launch further raids from. Why do they want a peninsula? They want all of it. They want the whole thing. I don't know. Having a peninsula. Like, I wouldn't feel like I wanted to... I I don't feel a need to go to and conquer Florida. (laughs) You have to remember they're coming from Sicily, right? So they're coming up the boot. They're coming up the boot. Yes. So this is bad. I guess if I was on the Florida Keys. You'd want to conquer Florida. Yeah. (laughs) You'd want to move up into the mainland of all of Europe, which is exactly what they're trying to do. But this, having the Garigliano River, is bad. And extra bad because it means they're now between Rome and Naples, who should have been doing most of the fending off. But remember how that goes with all the petty princes. Oh yeah, they're just being petty down there. Yes, very petty. And they are using the Saracens to their advantage whenever they want. And they're going, oops, I guess there's Saracens here, so... That's what's happening. Yeah, very much like, oh, I can't do a thing because they're Saracens. I brought them here. I paid them to be here, but now they're here and oop. Exactly. It's their excuse for things. So now they're between Rome and they're between Naples. And the river that they have now fortified feeds directly into the Tyrrhenian Sea. So this gives them the perfect opportunity to expand, conquer, and convert which they're absolutely going to do. So Anastasius, as Pope, should do something about this. And what does Anastasius do about this? Nothing. I was like, is it going to be nothing? It's going to be nothing. He definitely doesn't send them back to their island. No, he does not. At least nothing that we have sources for. But this is an important moment that is happening during his papacy that is absolutely going to develop into a further threat to be dealt with in future episodes. So it is important to acknowledge that this is happening and the Pope is currently doing nothing. Now, also at this time, and also not really involving the Pope, comes the evangelization of the Normans in West Francia. So we're going to talk about that for a minute. The Normans came from Scandinavia. And in particular, the group we're talking about are either from Denmark or Norway under a man called Rollo. And yes, if you've watched the show Vikings, you've watched this character and this whole storyline. I have not. I have not watched that yet. (laughs) I considered, but I did not want to. Rollo is definitely a major figure. Are you saying Rollo like the candy or Frollo like... (laughs) The bad guy from The Hunchback. He is not The Hunchback. (laughs) He is the Rolo like the candy, but with an extra L. Okay. But yes, these are essentially the Norman, quote unquote, Vikings. With the caveat that Vikings are not a people, Viking is an activity. So, these Normans have been harrying West Francia for quite some time already. They've already invaded and established themselves in the Seine River Valley around what would become Rouen and attacked Paris in 885, and generally are serving as a major threat to the king of West Francia, Charles the Simple. And yes, I would like to point out that this epithet sounds both super sh** and even potentially ableist. Oh no. But certain historians like Fraser McNair 
point out that in the earliest sources, this is meant to refer to Charles as straightforward, and only later chroniclers change the meaning and the context of simple to be stupid or foolish. And trust me, there was quite a rabbit hole I could have gone down here looking at the different sources and how they choose to use this name, but this is not a podcast on the kings of West Francia, and we're already being somewhat tangential at best, so... We just have to accept that maybe, potentially, this title isn't as gross as it seems. Yeah, he was only simple in that he liked to do things straightforward and not complicated. Exactly. So in July of 9-11, Rollo and his men decide to expand their settlement at the expense of the Franks and sailed up the Seine to Chartres and attacked. But the city was successfully defended and Rolla was defeated, but not defeated effectively enough to permanently drive out Rolo and the Normans. They would come back and they would try to take as much fertile land as they could because they always did. And so King Charles decides he's going to negotiate with the Normans, which results in the Treaty of saint clair sur epe and this is the treaty that creates the territory of Normandy to be given to Rollo's command and that Rollo would marry the king's daughter Gisla in exchange for the Normans' fealty to the king, protection of the Frankish kingdom, and for Normans to convert to Christianity. And this is why we're talking about it. <laughs> okay. That's like, at the, that's the bottom, like the fine print. You better be Christians. Exactly that. And in this moment, we have an entirely new group of evangelized people. Again, it doesn't really have anything to do with the Pope other than he would happily welcome new Christians to the flock and ensure Bishop Franco of Rouen did the same, but that's about it. However, because this is a short episode, I do want to talk about the 10th century historian Dudo's famous account of what happened when this agreement was reached. So to solidify the treaty, as an act of fealty, King Charles wanted Rollo to kiss his foot. But Rollo refused to do so. And I will let Dudo tell the rest. And so the king has given him his daughter Gisla by name as his wife, as well as the prescribed land from the river Ept to the sea, as a heritable estate and as an estate and all of Brittany to live from. The bishops have said to Rollo, who is unwilling to kiss the king's foot, whoever receives such a gift ought to kiss the king's foot. And he said, I will never kneel before the knees of another, nor will I kiss anyone's foot. Thus, urged by the prayers of the Franks, he ordered a certain warrior to kiss the king's foot. The warrior, at once laying hold of the king's foot, has brought it up to his own mouth and planted a kiss on it while standing upright, causing the king to topple backwards. And so great laughter and great uproar is occasioned among all the people. Oh, so it's like the Hulk grabbing Loki by his ankle. <laughs> it's exactly that. I mean, I had a Levicorpus moment there, but yes, he's just whipping the king right off his feet because, you know, it's kiss my foot. Okay, you didn't specify how. Yeah, but also ew. Yeah, very ew. I don't want to kiss anybody's feet in, you know, this age of hygiene, let alone. <laughs> let alone a regular day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But let's get back to the Pope and something he actually did. Did he kiss someone's foot? 
He did not. <laughs> but he did grant some privileges to a diocese in Germany. We know for sure that he granted a pallium to the Bishop of Vercelli, Ragemert, and there is also another alleged order that might have granted additional jurisdiction to the Bishop of Hamburg, but there are thoughts that this was later a forged document. But that's it, because then he died. And then he died. Yep, and he died on some date in 913 at the age of 48. Again, we don't know. <laughs> some date. But I will point out, like you said, this makes him very young for the papacy, which, by the way, is going to be a characteristic of the Seculum Obscurum and the Tusculan papacy pornocracy period as we know it and as we're going to see, because three out of four of the youngest popes in history will come from this time period. Anastasius is not one of them. We're talking teenagers. Babies. So, <laughs> yeah, actual babies are coming. So there's that. How Anastasius died is also unclear. Natural causes is generally accepted, but Wendy J. Reardon does not hesitate to point out the possibility that he was poisoned by Theodora, particularly if he tried to make any attempt to act independently of the Tusculan ambitions. Ah, uh, that feels okay. That just feels like, ooh, a spiteful woman. Very much so, but there is going to be a lot of, like, token pornocracy murder <laughs> kind of like we used to have token martyrdom this is this is the new thing there will definitely be it's like yep definitely killed by theodora De yep definitely killed by Morozia. this is this is the new token thing oh they just apply it when they yeah. see fit token perhaps evil he was woman. poisoned <laughs> exactly a lot of that perhaps he was strangled we don't know we'll just guess perhaps they left him in a chair and a teenager wobbled his chin for another year <laughs> well at, at the least we know that anastasius was buried <laughs> <laughs> on some date on some date probably in june we know it was in the pavement of saint peter's atrium his tomb was destroyed for new saint peter's but his epitaph has survived which is about as long of a record as we have of him so i will read it to you it says the remains of the priest anastasius rest in this tomb but a little earth will never cover his merit. With excellent administration, he governed the Apostolic See, being the third in order of pontiffs with that name. Reaching Christ, he hopes to be able to loose from himself all the bonds of sin. All ye who run to the thresholds of this temple from every place, beg God in your heart to give him rest. Okay. God, we still have like 600 years before we can ding that guy. Ruined everybody. <laughs> I know. So long. But now it's time to rate him. Are you ready? Yeah. Papatum infallium. Well, nothing really happened. And what's more, we know that the Theophylact family were still absolutely in control of the papacy, and Anastasius does nothing to challenge this. So we can't credit him for anything, anyways. He gave a present to Germany. <laughs> he gave a pallium to Germany. Well, I will give you one person who has one nice thing to say about him. And if you can believe it, it's Bartolomeo Platina. Can you guess what the one nice thing he might have to say about this pope is? Oh, just that he was great. <laughs> he was so holy. Well, here, I'll give it to you. But Anastasius, not acting anything worth mention, died after he had been pope for two years. This pope we may commend in this one instance 
that he did not persecute with ignominy and scandal the memory of any of his predecessors. Oh, that's <laughs> it. That's it. We didn't dig anyone up and tell them they were bad. Didn't undo the work of this pope or that pope. No undoing, because we know how he hates that. He absolutely hates that. So he finishes with, For he lived quietly and soberly and had nothing chargeable upon him that was blameworthy. Ugh. So, nothing good, nothing bad, nothing. Score of nothing. <laughs> Very mid. Just zero. Fructus prohibitum. In the same vein. Nothing. It's zero. I guess maybe we could we could argue for a single point because he's in the Theo's pockets. Sure, we could. Is that really scandalous? That's more like secularii impactum, though. Okay, fair. And that would generally not earn him a point. <laughs> no. In that category, so. So nothing. Secularii impactum. So Theophylact is still in control. The Normans have been converted. This is something. This is a moment. But he has nothing to do with it. I really don't think he did that. <laughs> he, did, he didn't do it at all. Charles the Simple did that entirely. So, yeah. There are points there for him? No, it's... I don't think so, unfortunately. It's just zero. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see if he can gain some points uh, with his face, because it's different. <laughs> <laughs> Fossium Sanctus. I forgot that I said, how do you blink for a, a painting? <laughs> well, guess what you might be feeling again. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, well. You can kind of see his eyes in this you can, No, you can see his eyes. Um, This is a young man. Yeah, but that's not a 46-year-old man. It's kind of a Mr. Beanie man. No, he's doing... God, he's so Jude Law. Look at him. Oh, no. Now I see it. You're right. Uh, no. <laughs> and I just said he needed to score points in this round. Jude Law gives him a zero. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, that's that's Jude Law. It is Jude Law. He's going to sniff us. <laughs> Get away. Sorry, the chin and everything. I'm sorry. He's got the little devil, too. I'm dying. <laughs> Tell me that's not Jude Law. It's Jude Law. It's Jude Law with more hair than Jude Law, but the hair is not better. It's like Jude Law wearing a Mr. Bean wig. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Hang on, I'm sure we can find Jude Law with more hair. Hang on, hang on. Wow. Hang on. Jude Law almost never has hair. Uh, Jude Law's Widow Peak <laughs> came at a very... Oh, God. Hang on, I found Jude Law's son, which may actually be closer. Oh my god! <laughs> Cursed! <laughs> Cursed! <laughs> Not Jude Law, but Jude Law's son. Wow, I didn't actually think he was gonna score this low. I was like, Mr. Bean, it's a couple of points, but you've ruined it. <laughs> I hate it, thanks. I hate it so much. So... <laughs> I just cannot get over this uncanny. Yep, I hate it. So <laughs> I'm gonna let you score it for. Oh, I gotta score him maybe like a one. Yeah, I can only give him a one, and that's that's just because I don't <laughs> want him to score zero. <laughs> maybe he Ugh. shouldn't look like Jude Law so much. I hate it. So that gives him a two, which, when divided by four, gives him a zero point. 
It seemed like bad math for a minute. <laughs> seemed almost too high <laughs> for this. I'm, I'm suffering. Terrible image of Jude Law. <laughs> Jude Law's son, though. Look. But Jesus. <laughs> the worst. You know, look, I have a couple of the bad artists for you. There's three bad artist versions of this. And they're all better now because they don't look like Jude Law. <laughs> they don't look like Jude Law. So there's that one. Oh, what a chubby, chubby Colin Mockery. <laughs> See, that would score more points. I'm just saying. And this, again, another Colin Mockery with points. Mm-hmm. And this one. This one in particular because it's just a man who's entirely sculpted out of nose. <laughs> be... <laughs> His brow goes straight to his nose. I think they were trying to do the Roman nose, but they have messed up. Yeah, terribly. Or perhaps his hat's too low. It's very unfortunate for him, though, because all of these would have scored him more than being Jude Law or Jude Law. So, (laughs) So, yeah, nope, that's all he gets. 0.5. Tempest Pontificus. Sometime in April 9-11 to sometime in June 9-13. So two years and a score of 0.5. Hang on. I have to be cursed one more time. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> ah! <laughs> he's got the white pants of the Pope Pius look. Nope. But now he's like, he's got the same hooded in the curlies. Curly hair. Yep. I hate it. Should I go back and make my score zero? <laughs> I'm content. I'm contemplating it but (laughs) because i have just looked at his total score but first all right everybody it's the canon bonus round no no zero so that brings us to his final total score which is a one oh just a one (laughs) that is the is that the lowest it might be actually as i'm looking no it can't it can't be the lowest but this is episode 122 and he's currently sitting in 124th spot so oh yes because there are some popes i've already like some future popes that i've entered their their tempus pontificus score in already mm. in the spreadsheet and they're beating him already so yes he might in fact be the lowest score that we've ever given. One. <laughs> he has scored a one. That seems like a pittance. It does. It is the lowest score we've ever given. So at least he will be notable for one thing. But is that one thing, Fry, enough for this next question? <laughs> I feel like we need to give him a papal bull just to be like, look at how bad he sucks. <laughs> but he doesn't even suck. That's the thing. He's just, there's just no record there's just nothing talking about what he did he's not even bad he's just completely unremarkable no i need to i need to give him a papal bull so that he can be like the bad the lame (laughs) horse in the race okay so you're actually saying yes to this Uh uh-huh okay well i am saying no so we're gonna have to go to dice which I didn't even pull out because I didn't even think this was possible. Let me go get a dice. Poor Anastasius. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I gotta find a D20. 
find your most unremarkable D20? Most You have the base set? Do I I have a couple basic sets? I have like the the D&D starter kit base set. Like do you have anything that's that boring? <sighs> Unfortunately, I have the Rick and Morty one, which is bright ass green and blue. <laughs> wow. Terrible. Um, but appropriate um, for a Jude Law Pope. <laughs> yeah, okay, I can use that one. If I can find the 20. That is not find the 20. Something boring. <laughs> I found a 20, but it is not the most boring one. <laughs> okay, it's been it's been a while, I think, since we've had a divine intervention role. Uh-huh. So I think we need to say for our listeners before you roll it, the way that this works is if it's a 1 through a 10, it is a no for a papal bull. If it is an 11 through a 20, it is a yes. I cannot believe we're doing this today, but <laughs> here we go. Roll us away. Where'd it go? Oh, he got a 16. You're kidding. No. <laughs> okay, well. Divine intervention has spoken. I am incorrect. <laughs> Anastasius the third, with his score of one, has a papal bull. So, congratulations. Uh? I'm being chaotic. I'm sorry. How do we put a question mark sound on our? Oh. <laughs> uh, as long as Greg does not use that annoying uh, Tim Allen. Bark question. What? You know, the or whatever he does. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of our episode. But before we go, we have some thank yous to make. And we have lots of thank yous to make because this is the first episode that we are recording since, like, the Cadaver Synod came out, since we're really back on track from our hiatus. And a lot of people have really shown up to support us in a really wonderful way. So, of course, thank you, as always, to Rex Factor and Totalis Rankium for being our inspirations. Thank you to all of the other Rexipod family and the history podcast community as a whole that have really gotten the word out that we're back. We have some patrons to absolve of their temporal sins. So we will say thank you to Ethan, Kira Benton, Ben Clark from Battle Royale Podcast. Oh, it's Ben. It's Ben. A.K. Beckwith, Hal the Legionnaire, Peter Lanning, Disinterested Handjob. Oh. Kaboot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's what it is. Kabooter, Dr. Brian, and Amber Johns. Ego te absolvo. We also need to say thank you to Brendan Walsh and Stuart Hall for being amazingly generous and supplying books from our wish list, which was awesome. I cannot wait to dig into all of those. I'd also like to say thank you to the Beyond the Breakers podcast for shouting us out and sending a whole bunch of new listeners our way, like Haley, who wanted to let us know that she came directly from them. Nice. And... I'd like to thank Ellen Chen for sharing some really cool photos of Pope Francis's visit to Quebec on the Plains of Abraham, which was awesome to see. And Elizabeth Dowell for sharing some really cool photos of papal bulls in Lisbon. Thank you all. Oh yeah, I saw that. That was cool. Yes, send us all your cool, fun Pope things. We want to see them. Tell us about your experiences. 
Our email inbox is always open. Our Twitter feed is always open. Come talk to us. We love it. And so with that, we can say thank you for listening. I can't believe this episode went this way. Hey, you know better than to have a podcast with me who let me out. (laughs) Divine intervention has spoken. And goodbye. Goodbye. Pontifax is edited by Greg Gassman. You can find his show, Popular History, on all major podcatching platforms. And keep an eye out for his new show, Arexipod Ranking Cardinals, Cardinal Numbers. You can also reach Greg at popularhistory at gmail.com. Get it? It's popular, but with an E, for the Popes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at pontifexpod at gmail.com. And we're pontifexpod on all social media platforms. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing to Pontifex on Patreon. Checking out our research wishlist at tinyurl.com slash pontifexwishlist or making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash pontifexpodcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, rating and reviewing the show on iTunes makes a world of difference. (laughs) 